on. Am I on? Yes, now I am. Perfect. Well, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, When it comes to the holidays, there's always a lot of preparation, especially if you have people over to your house or if you're traveling, not forgetting things. And then right as Thanksgiving's ending, we have Christmas, right? And so we're already thinking three and a half, uh, you know, weeks away. A lot of life is we're preparing for different things. Now, when it comes to me in my own life, I haven't always been a great preparer. I'll give you a, just a few quick examples. Uh, years ago, I was doing youth ministry, and a friend of mine told me, you know what, I think you'd be really good at pharmaceutical sales. I don't know why he thought that, because I really did horrible in chemistry and biology in college, but he's like, well, you can talk to people, and Ron Clifford would tell you there's more than just talking to people, right? But, so I go to my interview, it's about three hours away, and I had packed all my stuff for the interview because it was really hot that day and my car didn't have good AC. So about halfway there, I look over and I realize I have no dress shirt. I look and I'm like, oh no, I'm just in a t-shirt, I'm kind of sweating in, I have a tie. And so I ended up just going to the interview anyway. I called the guy and he's like, well, that just shows that you're, you know, industrious or whatnot. He was probably, anyway, I never got a call for the second interview. It didn't work, you know, (laughs) wasn't prepared, right? So Then I get married, and I didn't have a whole lot to do. I'm the groom, right? Just show up, except for when I unpacked my suitcase. We got married in Brazil. I didn't pack any socks because I knew I was in Brazil. It was like springtime there. It was pretty warm, except for white socks, and that wasn't going to look good under the tux, right? And so an hour before, one of Veronica's friends who didn't know English got me a pair of uh, socks, and, you know, I put them on, so kind of saved the day, but pretty minor. Then her sister got married a few years ago, her youngest sister, And it's an hour and a half before the wedding, and uh, there seems to be a common theme here, right? And I look in my bag, and I have my uh, suit coat, but I had forgotten my pants. I'm like, this is is a lot more serious than socks, right? And so so I ended up going with my father-in-law, who drove like Mario Andretti to the South American city, and uh, we go to some guy. He doesn't have my size, but he gets some, like, safety pins. I was in the wedding the whole time with safety pins on the pants, and... So next wedding I go to, I'm getting a little concerned on what I'm going to forget. I think I've covered my bases, but who knows? It's a little bit scary. I don't know about you, but hopefully most of you are better at me when it comes to preparing for these life events, and you're not forgetting things. But if you think about it, most of our life is preparing for the next thing, correct? We go to school, we prepare for exams. We play sports, we prepare for the game. And as we're going through school, then we've got to prepare for college, We go to college, we prepare for a career. Then if we're going to get married, we prepare for our wedding or we buy a house. Then we start preparing for retirement. Then we help our kids to be prepared to everything that we've gone through. And then we become retirees and we're like, okay, now what do we do? So we prepare to travel. We prepare to hang out with friends. If we're grandparents, we prepare to try to do a better job with that. Constantly preparing. It's exhausting even as I'm saying it, right? And then there's the smaller things. What are we going to wear each day? You know, what are we going to have for dinner? How are we going to get through our day-to-day things? Preparation. Well, this morning, um, we're going to talk a little bit about our faith and preparation. And when we think about our faith, oftentimes that can become exhausting too. We're like, oh no, Steve's going to tell me more things I got to do. And it can become, uh, if you think about it, even that can become, oh gosh, I'm supposed to be involved with small groups. I need to go to church more. I need to tithe more. And that list in in itself, when we're missing the whole point of it, can become tiring. But the good news this morning is we look at Scripture, we're going to see the preparation that God wants us to be a part of. 
doesn't just prepare us for an afterlife. It prepares us for our day-to-day life. So we can live lives, no matter what season of life we're in, lives that have meaning, purpose, and a clear destination. So as we start, we, uh, Kathy read a, the gospel reading. If you read it, it was pretty ominous, right? Let me read a little uh, uh, part of it. It says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Ominous words. So what should we do in light of this? Are we supposed to live lives of fear? Or like, you know, or as the bumper sticker I saw years ago, which I shared in our sermon, Jesus is coming, look busy. You know what I mean? Just so it looks like you're doing something. But instead, what I really feel what it, this is, is when we understand that we have a clear destination for those who are believers, that we have this real hope of eternal life, the preparation that God wants us to be a part of prepares us for our daily life, to live lives of courage and purpose, like I said before. And let me unpack why I, I believe that. So when Jesus uh, uh, rose again, he didn't do it in a stadium. He didn't do it in a, uh, you know, a big coliseum or, uh, or a uh, synagogue. A matter of fact, the people, when he told them about he was going to rise again, they thought it was in the afterlife. When they all died, they would meet in heaven, some celestial place. No, he appeared to people in their everyday, ordinary lives. The women that were tending his grave, that were working. The people that were walking on that road to Emmaus as they were walking, talking about the news events, they didn't even realize they were walking with Jesus. He appeared to them in meals. He appeared to them while they were fishing, doing their work and their jobs. You see, this was no accident. The reason he did this is he wanted these people to know that their ordinary, everyday life mattered. They're going about their walking. They're going to work. All of that stuff was holy. That every day mattered what they did. And as he met with them and talked with them and and, and told them about what he was going to do, how he was going to go back to be with the Father, and then he told them that the Holy Spirit was going to give them power. And and he did say this. He said, okay, everybody gather up on the hill. We're going to have a huge meeting. He said it once again over a meal. And Let me read the, the the little passage. He says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is after he rose again, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He didn't say, hey, y'all wait here. We're all going to wear the same sneakers. We're going to all hang out, and we're going to wait for me coming again. Okay, no. He said, you guys are going to be a part of this. You're going to go out and share this message with everybody everywhere. See, the Son of Man did come at an hour they didn't expect. They were thinking it was in the afterlife. He came right in their everyday, ordinary lives. And he empowered them with jobs to do, with work to do, to share this faith with everybody everywhere. So they were to live lives of preparation. But it wasn't just a future life with God in heaven. It was an everyday life to share the hope they had in Christ. 
As the uh, famous quote says, they, they learned to live as though Jesus was coming back today, but they planned though as though he was not coming back for 100 years. That's the way they lived their lives, this early church. So knowing that, knowing they had a job to do, what was the M.O.? What were they supposed to be all about? What was their mode of operandum? Well, every day they had a specific job to do. And they had a debt to pay, and that was to love others. Some of you are thinking, okay, here's another sermon about love. You know, we always talk about that, love others, love others. Well, you know what? You never graduate from this, because it's really not easy. Let me read in the passage. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So how are we able to do this? We're able to do this is because the kind of love that Jesus is talking about is not our sentimental love. Because we all know, even the best of us, that's fickle at times. That can be very selfish and choosy, and I love that person, I don't like that person, I don't like these kind of people. We're not very good at that. But we understand God's self-sacrificial love when he sent Christ to die for our sins so we could have access to the Father and filled us with his Holy Spirit. We understand that love, which is called agape love in the Greek. It's a love that's much bigger than us, and we get to join in in that and be a part of that. And no, we can't do it on our own. That's why he fills us with the Holy Spirit, so we can do the very difficult things. That's why he gives us this community of believers that helps us to love others. So when we really understand what Christ did for us on the cross, the freedom that comes from that, when he, that he paid the debt for our sins, we can't help but to love other people. The other thing it does is it humbles us. It prevents us from having this super spirituality where it's all about us and we've read this many books and we know this many Bible verses. And No, that's not what it's about. It's a humbling love. Yes, it's good to read books, to know Bible verses, but it's to put it into practice with the help of others. It's also no super individualism where it's me and Jesus and nobody else. See, your faith in Christ, this kind of love, draws you to community, draws you to other people. You're formed through community. You're formed through the ministry of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're grounded with a ministry not only of love, but of peace and hope as you share this with all kinds of people everywhere you go. Paul writes earlier in Romans, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And listen to this last part. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he has given us. It's not about us and what we've done to earn this. We don't have enough love in us, but God fills us with his love. He demonstrated on the cross, we love because he first loved us, loved us. And then, you know, Greg just finished a whole uh, sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Why is that important? What's important is this is because all of those thou shall nots, the solution to them is to love, the agape love. We don't commit adultery because we love other people. We don't steal because we love others and we don't want to take from them. All of these things, the solution of the thou shall nots is that thou shall loves. Love is the fulfillment of the law, this agape kind of love. We understand that Christ died on our behalf. 
we understand that these guidelines, these Ten Commandments, are help us to stay in the lane so we don't drift apart from other people. We don't drift apart from God. It puts us in relationship not only to God, but to other people. Famous theologian Karl Barth said that, uh, and this is paraphrasing, he said it's love is not an option for believers. It's not like, oh, these people are good at love. I'm just kind of good at raising money for stuff. No, it's for everybody. We all need to be about this. We all need to encourage each other. You've heard that song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. This is something we need to be reminded of over and over again, especially for the people that are difficult to love. It's not passive. It's not a sit on the couch and say, you know what, yeah, I I know a lot about love. It's going out and putting it into practice. You know, the, there's a, a cliche that can be helpful, but if taken to the stream, it's not helpful at all. It says, let go and let God. Well, obviously, when it comes to our salvation, we can't do it by our works. But when it comes to working out our faith and loving others, we can't just sit back. God chooses us to participate in what he's doing. As J.I. Packer once put it, the famous theologian, he said this, the Christian motto should not be let go and let God. It should be trust God and get going. I like that. Trust God and get going. Join in what he's doing all over the place. When Jesus was talking to his disciples earlier, he said, uh, before he uh, died and rose again, he said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. He didn't say as you sit or as you think about this stuff. He said as you go. You know, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we'll say it in a little bit. We say your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, we have a destination. Our lives are pointed toward heaven. We have the hope that when we die, that we'll be with Christ forever. But we also know that we're supposed to do, bring about his kingdom values, his love, the hope we have in the resurrection in our everyday, ordinary lives. So the last part of our uh, Ephesians, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, our, uh, our Romans reading in Romans chapter 13 gives us some very practical advice for us to kind of take home today to think about how we do this every day. I love talking about my baseball coach and you've, when I was in high school, but I got to tell you one other little story about him. If you, if you have never heard me talk about him, he was half Italian, half Puerto Rican, and uh, he was almost a professional baseball player, and he used to take it out with us by throwing us batting practice like 90 miles an hour. You know, it was striking out all these 15-year-old JV players. But he would look at us and say, hey, uh, Steve, he kind of talked like ba- Rocky Balboa. He would say, you know, you want to hit line drives? And I'm like, you know, yes, coach. We're always nervous when you talk to us. He goes, I'll tell you how you hit line drives. Every morning you wake up and boom, 50 push-ups. That's what I'm talking about. And all of my friends on the team could tell you that. Some of us still do push-ups out of fear today, even though we haven't played baseball in forever. But you know what? We actually did start hitting more line drives. The team was very successful because it was an everyday practice of getting stronger. So the Apostle Paul in Romans, his first advice to us all is wake up. He said, wake up from your slumber, awake you asleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The psalmist says, I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. All of us are on this side of heaven. We're all alive. We all have a pulse. We have a job to do, to trust God with our whole lives, to pray for others, to interact with others, 
Some of us can move faster than others. It doesn't matter if you're ambulatory or not. I learned that word a while back. I like saying it. But um, it doesn't matter whether you can move or not move. You can still move as far as uh, your faith by praying, by calling people, visiting people, putting this love into practice every day. The second thing is to lay aside anything that is taking away from your relationship with God and others. It says, lay aside deeds of darkness. Paul writes in the Colossians, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. A lot of these things we talked about in the Ten Commandments. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of these things which are done in secret. You know what darkness does, what uh, sin does? It distorts. It distorts life. It distorts other people. People become objects. Our relationship with God, he becomes just almost like a, uh, a Santa Claus or a tooth fairy. We try to get things from him. We can't see properly. So whatever it is that's taking away from your relationship with God and others, I encourage you all to put that aside, to take that out of your life. And then finally, he says, put on the armor of light. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't exactly know how to do that physically. You know what I mean? You can't really wear your Bible kind of thing. But I do know that you can begin your day with prayer. You can be in study with Scripture. Not study for the sake of study, but study to go out and to do the work of God, as J.I. Packer said. There was an Isaiah reading we didn't read uh, in the, that was part of the uh, um, prayer book today, and it said, in the lectionary, it said, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's what Isaiah said. Let us walk in that light. Throw aside the deeds of darkness. Wake up from our slumber. None of us have graduated from that. A matter of fact, as Christians, we shouldn't grow stale with age. Instead, we should be more vibrant in our faith, more of an example to those who are younger. And it's never too late if we've gotten sidetracked to come back, to connect with God, so that we can be faithful witnesses of the gospel. So I wanted to conclude with something a little bit different, rather than sum up everything I just said for the third time. There's a video I showed in my class uh, that we did called Everybody Everywhere with Bob Goff, and it's about a Czech Republic woman who lives out the faith in her fourth quarter of life. So we're going to watch that because it's going to remind us what it looks like to put this love into practice, to be prepared every day to share the hope we have in Christ. So let's go ahead and show that, and then we'll, uh, I'll close this in prayer. In my lifetime, I have experienced the rule of two totalitarian regimes, One was the German Nazis, and the second was the Russian Communists. The Word of God says 366 times, do not be afraid, do not fear. So we weren't afraid. After 40 years of communism here, the fact that many believers left the country. The Czech Republic has been called the most atheist place in Europe. It breaks my heart.
My name is Ludmila Harerova. I'm 82 years old. I have seven grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. My husband went to heaven in 2002. The Lord Jesus told me, now he is my husband, and he wants to continue to use me. He wants me to be his representative, his ambassador. Next to the door of my house, there is a bronze sign that says, the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. My home is an extension of Christ's kingdom. It's a place where people can come and look for help if they're in trouble or have a need. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That is the atmosphere I want here at the embassy. The visitors that I get, some of them have called ahead to let me know they're coming, and some just come. The ones that haven't called are usually the best ones because I'm not prepared for them. Everything that happens is dependent on the Lord. Today, a dear friend came by. She's a widow, and her family really are struggling financially. Whenever people enter this house, I just lay everything else aside and spend time with them. I have learned to recognize the inner voice of the Holy Spirit and give Him room to use me. The Holy Spirit likes to take control. Often I listen to myself and I'll say things I wouldn't even think about. There is no problem to deal with the issues people bring when they come here because the Holy Spirit is here. It's an honor for me to be an instrument of God's love and His wisdom every day. We often don't realize that all believers are called to be representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are all ambassadors. The Lord Jesus didn't choose to do it any other way. He simply entrusted us. We're all in this. Our everyday lives, the people who come in contact with us, we're an extension of God's kingdom. Our lives are an extension of his love. Whatever you do as you leave here today, my prayer for all of us is that we will uh, 
not, think, not wait for the next thing, but realize that every day matters and that God has work for us to do in the here and the now. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you love us all so much, and it's not our kind of love that uh, is so fickle. You love us with an unconditional love, an agape love, a self-sacrificial love. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help that to extend that to the people we come in contact today and this week and as we prepare for Christmas. We thank you for this all in Jesus' name. Amen.